Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. Hey, what's going on, guys? Vigor Life Podcast is back in the building. And one of my closest friends and an amazing, amazing trainer that if you don't know, you've been living under a rock. Um, but my friend Ben Bruno finally having you on, on his show, man. He's just so dope. And uh, first of all, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. This is fun to do this. It, it definitely is. It's like we've been catching up trying to do this for quite a bit, but I think- Is this audio or video too? Because if it's video, I feel like I got to go arms crossed <laughs> big like you. It, put it this way. Vi- video will get put out somewhere. So Ben's like, oh shit. I got oh, I to do the, the twiddle fingers. Um, I know. I got I to gotta do like this to look big yeah, like get you. Get the biceps up there, man. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, man, I have to, you're one of the people that- I, I was thinking about how, how far back we go. And I, I'm, I think it's at least 13 to 14 years from perform better. That's um, crazy. It, that it's been that long, which is wild. Because, I mean, I, I know that you back then you were still um, at Mike Bowles facility. Yep. And that journey has been crazy. I mean, I, I look back and I'm like, man, we've, we've both gone uh, a long way since then, man. I know and, that's crazy. Time flies. It popped up. You know what? You know what I remember is like not that long ago. Uh, me, you, Cressy, and uh, Joey from a Golds in Long Beach. Were oh before. yeah, and that was from like eleven or twelve years ago. We got a pump session. Um, but I mean, the, the biggest thing, like I, what we said too before, I, I kind of turned on the record button is, I think there's a lot of well, there's a lot. I, I think there's a lot of things that you've done, but uh, what's been phenomenal is, I think. It, it, I know you don't like to be called a celebrity trainer and I definitely won't, won't say that because otherwise you'll give me the, the crooked eye, but it's, it's, it's one of those things where somebody is doing things so good, the right way, you know, it's coming a kind of spotlight and uh, which has been, I think great for, for training um, great for fitness, but I wanted to extract those lessons, you know, cause I think you've done things, you do things so practically, like you're not a bullshit guy. You know what I mean? Like you do stuff that works in the real world. And like, that's what I love. Cause again, that's, that's what I do uh, with the gym is like, look, if it doesn't work, kick it out. Um, and the, you know, the two lessons that I really wanted to take from today's, uh, today's conversation we have is, you know, number one, like these principles that you believe in to be a great trainer. And, and it can go from the X's and O's of program design, which we'll, we'll touch on uh, how to train people like in the real world uh, beyond the X's and O's. And then also, like, I would say, I hate saying secrets to success, but just things that I don't care whether you're a gym owner, if you're a one-on-one personal trainer, like solopreneur, um, if you're currently working for somebody and wanting to build your business and brand, like, what are the things that you're like, listen, there's a lot of stuff, but here's the things that I believe you got to do. Um, th- those, those are the two things that I really, really want to riff on. And starting with... Because, you know, what you thought back then and what you think now, like today, you know, kind of connecting the dots, looking backwards, what do you feel are some of the most important things for, for trainers to, to be successful from the standpoint of great customer experience, getting them results? And I think you have one of the longest retentions on the planet <laughs> of, of clients, right? How, how, do you, how do you feel that you get there? Well, first off... Uh... I don't know a lick about running a gym. That's a whole different can of worms. I think, um, I think a lot of times trainers mistakenly think that being a good trainer would make you a good gym owner. 
And it's, you can probably attest it's very different. I've worked at two gyms that are very successful. And, you know, I think people that work at gyms think that the boss or owner has it really easy and it's just chilling. And, uh, I know I felt like that at both gyms. I worked, I kind of felt like I was doing all the hard work and the boss was like, had it easy. And then when I became my own boss, I don't even manage anyone else. It, it was actually way harder. So that was, that was kind of a rude awakening. I think most, you know, I don't know if you deal with this at your gym, but at most gyms, I think the employees probably secretly, I don't want to say don't like the boss, but like maybe don't like the boss or like think that they're doing all the hard work while the coach, while the owner gets all the credit, but they don't see all the hard work that goes into it behind the scenes. Uh, so I, I have never dipped my toe in being a gym owner. That's not really my thing, but I feel very confident in my abilities to train people in very small groups or one-on-one. -on -one. That's a whole nother thing too. I think, uh, when trainer, when trainers are looking at people to follow or not, I don't mean follow like on social media, but I do think it's good when you're first learning to basically copy the people that you respect. But I think you have to have the proper context and know that group training, for example, is so different than small group or one-on-one -on -one training. You know, I, I, um, I love following your Instagram and I love, uh, John Chamberg's a great trainer friend yeah, of mine. John's awesome. Yeah. He trains big groups. I think you guys are like two of the best in the world at training groups. I would be like the world's worst group fitness instructor. <laughs> I, like this is as animated as I can get. I'm not really good with that. I'm not a, uh, but I, you know, I, I think, uh, I've, you know, uh, I really only know how to do like one thing well, and that's train like, you know, people for like train real people for an hour. Uh, but I think <laughs> if you do that, you know, I've learned if you do that well, you can make a good life for yourself on it, but I, I don't really do anything besides that. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, my thoughts on training have, uh, Truthfully, my training principles haven't really changed that much. And this is my 15th year of training. And I, I would say my training principles haven't changed all that much, but the way I deliver things has. And I think that um, I've, you know, uh, sharpened the ax, so to speak, over the years, but it's not, uh, it's the same ax. Uh, it gets a little better. And I think um, partly that is experience training, the longer I've trained and the more people I've trained. And partly that is getting older myself. I think, uh, a lot of things sound good on paper when you're in your early twenties and nothing hurts on your body and things like that. Uh, and you just assume that your clients all feel like you. And then when you get a little more mileage on your body, I think it actually makes you a better trainer. Cause you're like, Oh shit. Like all these older people that were telling me that these exercises hurt them. Like, yeah, this is what happens. Uh, so I think that, um, and then truthfully, as my clientele's changed, I think it made me a better trainer. Cause I started out, I don't need to bore people too much with my whole story unless you want me to, but, um, I started well, I out. I think it's very bad. Listen, I, I think it's very valuable because yeah, most people that know you, I, I would say most people that know you for the last X, Y, Z amount of years. And it's like, okay, Ben Bruno, here's who he's training. Here's, you know, where he's living and where he's at. But I do think it's very, very powerful, beneficial for people to know where you started. Yeah, so sure. I, I, would, I would like to, for you to share that. 
Cool. So I, I, well, yeah, I, I got into training in a, in a little bit of a different way. When I was younger, I played a lot of sports, but I never, I never worked out for sports. And I don't think a lot of younger coaches realize how new the field of strength and conditioning is because, uh, you know, like my mentors were like some of the first people doing it. And even when I was in high school, nobody worked out for, for the sports. It was like very rare. We, we did, uh, I used to ski race and we did dry land training for ski racing, which was like sort of training, but no other sport really even worked out. Football did my, my um, town wasn't big enough to have a football team, but like football kids worked out, but other sports didn't even work out. And that, now it's like more the norm, but, uh, it is an emerging field. So I think, um, you know, I can tell you that a lot of times I'm flying by the seat of my pants, figuring new things out as I go. And I think anyone that tells you otherwise is lying. Um, but <laughs> I, you know, I think we try things and some works and, you know, honestly, we try things and most of it doesn't work. Some of it does. And then we improve it a little bit at a time. Um, but, uh, yeah, when I, when I started training, uh, I had, I was actually in school studying sociology, which, uh, you can't ask me what that is. Cause I still don't even know <laughs> after being a sociologist. It's just, uh, I, you know, um, but I was interning in finance too. And my sophomore year of college, I had a back surgery that, uh, they botched the surgery and I got nerve damage in my right leg. So I had to take a medical leave from school two years and, uh, I lost around 40 pounds. I wasn't, I was like as big as I am now. So f losing 40 pounds, I was like the bad kind of, I was really skinny and, uh, my right leg completely atrophied. And so I was doing the regular run of the mill back surgery rehab, but I was 19 and most back surgery protocols are written for much older people. Cause it's not that common to have back surgery that young. So I could do everything they were asking me to do pretty easily, but it wasn't improving my pain. And, uh, I ended up going to this doctor named Dr. Rainville in Boston. And he doesn't know this, but he changed my life because he had this protocol called uh, back boot camp, which kind of flew in the face of a lot of more conservative physical therapy. And it was essentially akin to low grade weightlifting. So when you have back pain, most physical therapists and doctors then still to a degree now, but definitely then just tell you, like, don't do anything that hurts and kind of baby it. And, uh, Dr. Rainville had a little bit more of a gritty approach and taught you to get stronger. And so the program was a mix of, uh, like lap pull downs and leg press. And they had us deadlift, uh, crates, but they taught us to do it with a round back. Like, so you'd strengthen your back, you know, like, uh, and it's actually funny. A lot of the stuff that we did is taboo, but it really helped me. Uh, we did, uh, you know, we, we did all the, we did the, um, you know, a shitload of planks and also a shitload of crunches, which are bad for you too. But I, you know, I can tell you in, uh, 2006, I probably spent more time in a plank than any human on this planet. 
and also did more crunches than any human on this planet. I mean that because I've always taken, I've always been an all in or all out type of person. And once I started that back boot camp and started feeling better, I just like took it, the concept and ran with it probably to a fault, but I just, you know, if they told me to do, you know, five sets, I was, you know, I, I built up to, um, in 2006, I used to watch a 30 minute TV show, 10 minutes side plank each side, and then a 10 minute front plank. And that was like, and, uh, uh, then, you know, I would do so many, uh, I didn't do crunches on the floor. I did, uh, stability ball crunches, which, listen, uh, this is a, hopefully this is going to be the new program too. Like watch TV for 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I mean, a 30 second plan, a 30 minute plank is actually hard. It's really hard. I'm, uh, mm. but I built up to, I did it every day. I did uh right side, left side, front every day. Uh, and, uh, when I say every day, I did that for a couple months, but, um, I was doing this program and started feeling better. So I, I took the weights and just kind of ran with it. And, uh, somewhere in the line morphed into like a meathead when I went, and when I went back to college, I, uh, was just lifting all the time. And, uh, to make a long story, a little shorter, I parlayed my finance internship into a training job because the guy I was interning under had kids that played high school and college football. So he connected me with their trainer who hired me just off word of mouth from that guy that, uh, he'd never seen me train and he couldn't have, cause I'd never trained anyone, but he <laughs> hired me. And, uh, then, or so I thought, and then right when I graduated school, this is also when the economy tanked, uh, and so everyone, this is, so this 2008. yeah. So his cousin lost, you know, I, I still don't understand the story cause it didn't add up, but his cousin lost his job. And so he hired his cousin, not me. I had no job. So when I graduated college, I, I started thinking, also, uh, I don't know if you ever got this, but at the time, anytime I told anyone I was toying with the idea of being a trainer, it wasn't considered a real job. They were like, you know, it was kind of considered like a hobby and then like, you'd have to get a real job. So when that job was pulled out from under me, I started applying to real jobs. I kind of thought maybe they're right. This training thing is, isn't a viable career. So I started applying to jobs in market research and like at a hedge fund and random shit. And while I was doing that, I was reading T nation and read an article by Mike Boyle clicked through the bio and saw his gym was 45 minutes from my mom's house. So I just drove down and asked for an internship and I was six months past the deadline, but you know, sometimes it's really right place, right time. They were low on interns at the time. And I started the next day. So I got an internship with Mike Boyle and, uh, worked with him and this guy, Steve Bunker, who to this day, I consider like a dad to me, Steve's, uh, Steve's the man. And he's a real under the radar guy. Uh, he doesn't have social media or anything. Um, but super smart guy. And, uh, I worked with Steve for like four years, learned a lot. And that's the best place you can learn a gym like that. Cause they just have such high volume, like over 300 people come through in a day in the summer. So 
within, you know, my first couple of years of training, or actually within my first couple months of training, I had trained 10 year old kids. I trained pro athletes. I trained a blind guy. I trained, uh, you know, everything and everything, you know, uh, every kind of person you can imagine came through the door. And that's really the only way to get good at training. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up because it, you know, it's funny you say like, number one, you went an intern somewhere where they train a shit ton of people. And well, not only that, but a shit ton of different people. Cause that's yeah. the thing like you can, it, you know, uh, you can train a lot of people, but if it's the same kind of people and you're just doing the same thing every hour, you're not really getting better. No, you're, you're put it this way. You don't get that experience. And I, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. You know, I, I, I know you talk about this general versus specific, but I think I became excellent at what I do because of exactly that. Like, okay, you get a high school kid, you get a pro guy, you get a person that has a rod from his neck to his sacrum, yeah. uh, but they got to be active. You get a person that, you know, is getting out of a walker, but then you get a person that wants to build. I mean, just like everything that, you know, and some of the stuff you're like, oh man, I don't want to really train this person, but like foresight 2020, you're like, man, this is like exactly what I needed because I became really good at adapting figuring out how to do shit stuff that no cert or, uh, you know, kind of like the theory that people talk about that shit. Like you, you don't really get that until, until you're not on the floor with those people, man, period. Well, and I'll also tell you as somebody who would still consider themselves a generalist, cause I still have like a very broad clientele, the clients, when you're younger, the clients that you think, ah, oh, I don't really want to train this person when you're older, that's going to actually turn into your ideal clients along the way. Like, true story. Uh, did, did you actually, let me ask you this. When, when you started training, um, out of, of out of my goals place, did you have like, um, this is the type of person I want to train like vision? Well, actually, yeah. Well, so when I started at Mike Boyle's place, my, my training background prior was all self-taught and I just read a lot and trained and I was a little bit more meat heady than the Boyle's philosophy. I, I learned through powerlifting and, um, bodybuilding stuff and, uh, this uh dc dog crap training and elite fts powerlifting and stuff like that and uh i but i was also young and just i love to train hard and then uh learn more of the functional stuff you know um and uh then just you know over time kind of just came up with my own training philosophy you know kind of a mix of everything and uh but um I do think that, uh, being in it 15 years now, I look back cause I used to be very judgmental of stuff I didn't agree with. Um, and then when I look back, I'm like, oh yeah, they were right. I was dumb. Like that type of thing. But I think it's just a life evolution thing that, um, you know, I'm 37 now. And if I told all my thoughts on training and cause I've, I've actually become much more conservative over time. And I think, uh, you know, this shit, it's part of life. You know, I remember when I was 22, a 37 year old telling me their stuff, I'm like, yeah, you're kind of soft. And then, you know, <laughs> if I told you my ways of doing things now, there's probably a 22 year old listening that thinks I'm soft. And when they're 37, they'll be where I am talking to a 22 year old that thinks they're soft. It's just kind of like the nature of what we do. Yeah, but that, I think that there's the magic there. I think that whoever can grasp what you're saying and, you know, the people that 
have been doing it for a long time and go, listen, there's a reason why, you know, 37, I'm, I'm 41 going on 42, you know, whether it's Jay or Joe or folks that have been doing it for a long time that like, then there's 85, 90% of the shit that we say the same. Like, why yeah, is this? You know what I mean? And it's just like to go, man, d- d- don't learn like the dumbest way for like five, six, seven, eight years. Like maybe start applying that now and you'll be ahead of the curve. But I, I agree with you. I was the same. You know, I, I think we're very much. Well, I was actually pretty quick to like buy into the, the stuff we did at Boyles. And uh, he's a he's a genius with the training stuff. It really is like uh, and the way they do things there. Bunk is a, a genius. And I learned uh, Steve Bunker and I learned a lot from those guys. And um, I think that it was it was really eye opening to me to to mostly re- like uh when you do general population training, you just have to learn real quick that like most people aren't like us. Like most trainers get into it because they just love training and they love training so hard and they love being smoked after a workout and they love setting PRs. And then when you train most people, they don't care about any of that stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you try to train them, like, you know, uh, yeah. You know, I made a tweet one time that like pissed off a lot of people, but I stand by it. But I said, you know, I, I said, there's one, there's a word to describe trainers that live and die by the big three power lifts. And that's unemployed. Like, you know, most people just <laughs> aren't, 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 don't want to do that. And, uh, they don't need to do that. And, um, you know, I do think that the quicker you can learn, I'm a personal trainer, but the quicker you can learn the personal part is them, not you, like, the more successful you'll be in the sense that truthfully, I, I am the biggest proponent of strength training and getting stronger, but I think that a lot of trainers, myself included, you probably too, we often take it to excess. And, and, uh, I think the devil's in the dose and if some's good, more is not always better. I can't, you know, I can, I can't even count on my fingers and toes. The times I've tweaked my back going too heavy and tweaked my, this going too heavy. And I, I don't think that what I do is how people, like, I don't train my clients that way. Cause, uh, you know, I think we take a good thing in the fitness industry and, and overdo it a lot. And that's fine with, with your own body. You know, uh, I keep telling myself I'm going to get smarter in my own training. And sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, cause I just like it, <laughs> but, but, you know, I don't think, um, extreme strength is the answer to most people's issues. You know, I think, uh, and so, um, you know, it is, if your goal is to get really, really, really strong, but if you just want most people's goals, which is like, you know, to be strong, but feel good in a modest physique. You know, I, I actually think a lot of trainers take it too far. And, um, and you know, yeah, I do. And yeah. You know, what's, what's, what's interesting too, is at the last episode I did with Joel and I spent a lot of time with him and obviously, you know, he's a, a number one kind of like conditioning expert in the world and really yeah. documents a longevity. And it, and it's like, it's stuff that as a meathead, you kind of don't even want to hear, but it, it's, you know, I've, for a long time now, I've been big into cardio uh, as well. But it's like, you know, the, when you look at the, all the mortality stuff, people that have better conditioning live longer. You know what I mean? Like, and so, yeah. and you don't have, now listen, strength and building muscle is important, but there's a limit where you go beyond it starts, it can actually become detrimental for longevity. And most people want to feel good, right? They want to feel healthy, be able to do stuff, but they don't want to like, push the fringes of anything if that makes sense right like of course uh, well you know like i remember i used to write a lot about joint friendly options so you know switching to 
rear foot elevated split squat instead of back squat as joint friendly. And I still believe that, but I also think that there's nothing joint friendly about split squatting 300 plus pounds, you know, Uh, (laughs) uh, I can tell you as somebody who does it like six to 10 times a year, like I feel like shit for a couple of days after doing it. So there it's not, you know, I think the devil's in the dose with everything. And, um, you know, I think, uh, when trainers argue a lot about exercises being dangerous and stuff, a lot of it is like how heavy you're going, you know? Uh, and, um, I do think that a lot of young trainers mistakenly think that their clients share their same goals and, uh, are in it for the sake of, but a lot of trainers, myself included, I just train for the sake of training, to be honest. Like, uh, I, I would, I don't even like being big. So I would venture to bet. I'd look the exact same if I eased up 50% of what I do, that extra 50% is just cause I like it. I don't think it's like really serving me any purpose. And especially, especially once you've been training for a long time, like it's once you've built a really good base, you can spend, you know, 30 to 40% of your, your volume will, will keep you there. Right. But again, it's like when I come over and you're like, Hey, listen, you want to try this finisher? Yeah. Yeah. Crush me. Like that's not normal, but you know, no, no, no. And then again, I would, I like, you know, uh, yeah. Remember that you did that thing at my house where you lunged the nineties up my hill and then sprinted. I can tell you, I'd be unemployed if that was like my workout of the day for the clients that I would have no job, you know, no, like, I know you're one of the only people that's as sick as me. And so like we do that, but that's not, that's not like fitness. That's just fun. Exactly. I mean, and I think that's the, you got to constantly come back to like this, like, Hey, you know, who am I here for? What is the goal? You know, like, what am I doing? Like that, that self-awareness is, is so important. Um, and it's easy when you love training like we do, it's easy to slippery slope it to that. Like, oh, let me let me do this and this finisher and let's push that. Uh, now, yeah, some people do have those goals, but it's it's a small percentage in the grand scheme of things of what people want. Um, and I, I think that's really, really important. You, may, you keep making this point. I, and I think um, it's hard to get because you do have to drop the ego because, you know, when you know, like, oh, I study all this stuff, but now... Like I can't, uh, do these super advanced, I would say strategies. Yeah. You feel like you're not using your knowledge, totally. but, but, but it's like, I think that you said what you changed a lot is the delivery, which I, I want to get into in a little bit later. I think that's a big, well, one. another thing that I think really helped me, uh, that I hope people listen to, uh, when I started training in LA, well, you know, when I was at Boyle's, whenever I would talk to people that train pro athletes, they would always say, you know, priority one, don't hurt them. And, and I always would feel like, man, that just seems like so conservative, everything they're telling me. And then when I started getting, uh, really wealthy and really like good athlete clients and stuff, I started becoming more conservative and I realized what they're saying about don't hurt them and, uh, training, actors and stuff is a different can of worms because you have to, they have really high goals physique wise and strength wise, but they're not always naturally athletic. Training pro athletes is one of the easiest jobs because you just give one half-assed demo and they do it better than you right away. (laughs) People that aren't naturally athletic, it's, there's a little bit, it's more teaching. Uh, they might not have done it much before their mobility is not as good. So I started doing a lot of this, the, 
more, you know, uh, I always say I'm a mom in the gym. Like, you know, I'm always just worried about hurting people. And I think being a mom has made me a way better trainer. And then it also made me realize my clients still get to their goals, physique wise, strength wise, everything. And I think that I I've always preached the concept of joint friendly strength training. And the one change that I have to it is I always used to think, um, you know, if once back squats start to bother you back, then switch to split squat. Once conventional deadlift bothers your back, switch to trap bar. And I always would look at people and just see, you know, somewhere along the line, the hardcore stuff would get to them and then they go to the joint friendly stuff. But I really, then it kind of dawned on me, like you don't have to be a high level pro athlete or rich to get the smart training. Like everyone should just train like this. And that, that made me, and cause there's everyone's seen results. So then I realized like, just train smart, like before you hurt to prolong that, you know, like you, I, you don't even get there. We're put it this way. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, yeah, exactly. Like I'm not saying like, you know, uh, geriatric training, but I'm saying, you know, the smarter stuff, uh, doesn't have to be like, once you're hurt, it can be before. And, uh, I think, I do think that, um, it made me a better trainer in general, because I, I, I absolutely think when you talked about client retention, uh, anytime people ask me how I get clients, I always tell them, just keep my same clients. Cause I, I, I get very few, I get very few new clients, very, very few actually, but I've just kept them for a long time. So I have a fair amount of clients. And then here and there I get a new one. And I think that the way for long-term client retention is part, uh, just having a rapport with people that they want to keep coming the social aspect. And then two, a lot of the hardcore stuff just doesn't pan out over time. It just doesn't, you know? And I think, uh, I've had to fight clients that love to push themselves. I, you know, I tell everyone I'm not the hardest trainer and that's by design, but I think, uh, the quickest way to lose someone is to hurt them. So long-term, if you can train people, and keep them feeling good and train a little below threshold. They might not all like, I would much rather someone argue with me here and there that we can do more than do too much. And then they're out. And, uh, so I think that's, that's something I, you know, my, my spiel to new clients might be very, very different than a lot of people's, but mine is, um, you know, now it's like second nature that I say it, but I always say I'm not the hardest trainer. It's by design. I'd rather you leave this first workout feeling like I'm too easy rather than too hard. Don't worry. It's coming. And, uh, some soreness is inevitable, but if it's ever too much, let me know. Cause then I overdid it. And, uh, I think when you set the tone for that, uh, that's the way you, you create lifelong customers. Man, I think that, but I'm going to unwrap that a little bit. Cause I think that's gold. I mean, no, number one, and like how you retain, because you could do, you know, you could push people and it's like the really hard workouts and everything's going great until it's not. Yeah. And then that one moment, things can start going downhill and you lose a client. Well, and it happens, dude. I mean, think about it. Like how many times have I texted you? Like, dude, I tweaked my back going for broke on split squats. Like it happens. And I can tell you, I, I, I train with very safe exercises and I have great form all the time, but I push the limits and sometimes a little too far. And I, I think that's my own prerogative with my own life. But I think with clients, 
we don't really, we stay a little bit shy of those limits. We go seven, eight out of 10 hard. And I think when you go 10 out of 10 hard is when you're uh, playing with fire and I'll do that with my own body, but I don't do it with clients. Man, it's, it's such a great point. And you made a point earlier, I think was, was so good. And it made me think about like, even our own training, you said, Hey, I do these things like, like a back squat or like a regular bar deadlift until something goes wrong. And then it's like, all right, let's go to single leg variations. Let's go to, I don't know, like a belt squat, trap bar, this, that, the other. And I, I don't even remember the time. It was not like a definitive moment where I was like, I'm not going to do straight bar anymore. I'm not going to back squat anymore. It was just that it just didn't feel good. And I could do all this other stuff that I could push feel way better and still get stronger. And automatically it just transitioned into that. And then you, you look back and you go like, well, listen, I could do that with clients now. Like, why would I even it, the risk to benefit ratio, right? Like it, it makes no sense whatsoever, but they can still get strong. Like, you know, does anybody want to power lift? Okay. Different story, but you want yeah. to get stronger. Cool. Like so many ways to get strong, right? You, you don't yeah. want to feel your low back tightness because even if you have great form, this, that, the other, okay, there's so many things that we can do, but why wait? Like why go like, Oh, you're in your twenties, you know, fuck it. Let's just do uh barbell squats. Cause you're fine. Right. Like, and it, you have your tissue tolerance is higher. Like that, that's just not a smart move. And I love the way that you said it. It's like, do I wait and like regress when you could actually just be doing this to constantly progress and feel better? For sure. But, but, but going back to like, I know you, you love full body workouts. Um, like, and I get it. Like you, everything's adjusted to the client, but if you like 10,000 foot view, zoom out, if, if you kind of said, Hey, listen, here's a template that I used as just a, a great way to approach training with the majority of my clients, like, what would that look like? Cause I, I think this is, I think a lot of people that haven't heard it, this is a very, very good insight into your thinking around programming and how you do things that will benefit a lot of people. Well, we do full body workouts most of the time there, there are exceptions and that tends to be for, uh, really strong guys that, um, have like a set schedule and, uh, strength focused goals, but that's not really what I do. Most of the time, uh, most of the people that I train, uh, are doing it either for sports and they're, they're practicing their sport concurrently or general population clients with the goal to be, uh, you know, muscular and lean, but not like big, big. And, uh, you know, and women that have, uh, you know, the goals most women do to be, uh, lean and the fitness industry hates the word tone, but, uh, we all know what it means. That's the word. So I use it. So, um, and, uh, so I think for that full body workouts are best. I also, also think it's the most practical, when, uh, cause always practicality is going to prompt tr- Trump perfection. But what, uh, the reality for me is I, I don't work with people that have like a set schedule. So, um, I don't know always, I, I'll know a couple days in advance, but I can't stick to a program, you know, and is, so, are, most of, are most of your clients, like, would you say majority are not like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, there's always like a, uh, this almost kind of almost none of them. I only have, I actually only have one guy that's like on a set routine. And so we have a program it's three times a week, but, uh, the rest of the time I don't have, I only have one client like that. 
and uh, we work off the rest of the time we don't. So it sounds bad that I'm telling you I don't work off a program, but you actually just can't when you don't know the schedule. So I think full body workouts are the best. One, I think full body workouts are the most efficient way to achieve a lean muscular physique. Uh, and two, you also have to remember too, that, um, a lot of my clients don't work out outside the time they're with me. So, um, you know, as trainers, we learn every technique and every conditioning tool and every cardio protocol and stuff. But if somebody's working out two or three times a week for an hour, a lot of that shit just doesn't make the cut. A lot of actually a lot of great things don't make the cut. A lot of good exercises, a lot of good conditioning protocols just don't make the cut. And what does make the cut for me, if somebody comes two to three times a week is full body strength training with a little bit of interval training. And then hopefully they're going to do, uh, some cardio on their own or, you know, lower intensity stuff on their own. But, um, if somebody's coming to me two to three times a week, I'm never going to just have them like get on the bike for an easy 60 minutes, uh, or something like that. So it's usually full body strength training. Um, sometimes some interval type stuff at the end, sometimes not depending on what we did for the workout. And yeah, we, we always kind of work off full body, but, uh, when, when I know when people are coming and I know what they've done, we don't always bias every, every thing the same. So like under the umbrella of full body, you could have a lower body focus or even like a knee dominant focus, or you could have an upper body focus. Um, or if someone comes in and tells me that they just did a spin class with their friend, we can go heavier on upper body and lighter on lower body. Um, when I say heavier and lower, I, I sometimes mean actual weight or, but sometimes I just mean, um, the volume or the exercise selection. So, um, in most exercise categories, I have what I would call, you know, there are just more taxing exercises and less taxing exercises. So, um, if somebody's lower body is smoked, uh, instead of a deadlift, we might do a stability ball leg curl or, um, you know, something like that. If somebody's legs are smoked instead of a heavy, uh, single leg exercise, we might just go light or, um, you know, that type of thing, or we might just push the sled or, or things like that. Um, so that when I say heavy and light, it's not always as clear, just like weight. Uh, it could be volume and also exercise selection. Cause I do think some exercises are, you know, uh, way more taxing than others. You could do, you know, uh, you could do stability ball leg curls every single day and be fine, but you couldn't do a heavy RDL or deadlift every day, you know? Um, so we modulate the intensity a lot, um, for each body part or movement pattern. It's, it's, uh, it's always interesting talking with trainers versus clients. Cause if you heard me talk to my clients or if, other trainers did, you guys would just think I'm such a dumbass. Cause, uh, you know, it's like sacrilegious to talk about body parts, but when you train real people, that's how they all talk. That's like, uh, you'll lose people real quick. If they say they want to exercise for chest and you, you know, explain horizontal, how, why it's not chest, why it's, you know, like, uh, every single person ever, and this is including, you know, um, 
I consider myself a personal trainer, but I train a lot of athletes and the best athletes in the world will still ask what muscle, what, you know, when, if you're doing a rear foot elevated split squat, they'll say, what's this one work? And you just got to say quads. And if it's a woman, you just got to say glutes. And, uh, there's a more nuanced answer, but like, they don't want that, you know? Uh, so, um, when I'm talking to clients, I probably sound like a real bro to trainers and like, that's fine. But I think that you have to learn Mike Boyle used to have this article when I was younger that I loved called, you have to learn how to speak coach. And it's, and he talked about it when you're training athletes and you're trying to communicate with the team coach, you have to learn how to speak their language. And that was helpful, but I don't really do that now. I do everything privately. So I, I was, uh, I changed that to, you have to learn how to speak client and, you know, clients that, um, have a more, are more, more invested in training and care. I'll speak like how I would to a trainer, but for the most part, uh, I speak in a way that would really piss off a lot of trainers as far as, um, you know, uh, I give very basic explanations to their questions that may or may not be like fully true. You know, um, if people say, you know, in the real world, if people, if, if a client asks me or texts me, Hey, is it better to do intervals or steady state? I'm at the hotel. I'll just give them a simple, like intervals, you know, uh, or if I want them to do steady state that day, steady state's better. And then, you know, if it's the next week, I could say the exact opposite. And they'd be like, I thought you said it, this one's better. And I'll be like, no, 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 this one's better. And then there's no, <laughs> there's no, there's no further questions. There really isn't. It's uh, a lot of the trainer debates don't really matter to clients. They really don't. You know, I, I, uh, I've told this story several times to my trainer friends, but when I was at Boyles and was in the part of like writing for T nation all the time. It was, it was really a big deal to talk about doing rear foot elevated split squat instead of back squat. And there would be heated arguments about hand clean or cleaning from the floor. You know, trainers get pissed about these things and, uh, pull-ups versus chin-ups, different shit that trainers argue about. And then I had a kid go to the university of Maine to play hockey. And that's a really good hockey school. He's a great athlete. And when he came back for his Christmas break, we started training and I asked him what they were doing in Maine. He's like, Oh, all the same shit you do. It's a little different. Like we do like the squats with the bar on our back instead of like the ones we do. And we clean from the floor instead of like from the hang, but like, it's all, this, it's all the same shit. And then I, I realized like all these arguments that I've been losing sleep over people don't care except trainers on the internet it, to, to clients. It really doesn't matter. And I've, I can't tell you how many debates I've gotten in about single leg versus bilateral. And to a client, I once had a football guy go, Hey, why don't you back squat? And I said, cause, uh, you know, in sports, you're like one leg at a time, like something shitty like that. And he was like, Oh yeah, cool. Yeah. That makes sense. And that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> and then another time when I was asked about the single, it's less stress on the back. That's all I said. And he's like, yeah, that totally makes sense, dude. Like there's no further explanation needed. And I'm sure his next trainer might've back squatted and he liked him too. So I think that, uh, a lot of this stuff we argue about is more our own thing than the clients, you know? And also too, I have actually trained three women 
that used to train with Tracy Anderson. So on the on the online world, oh, shit. Okay. people always talk about that stuff as like a joke in our world. Like uh, that Tracy, well, we live near each other and all three women really like her. That, uh, and I don't know her personally, but I now, the more I've gotten to hear about her, I got nothing nice. We, we have very different training philosophies, but um, the women like both of us. And that was a real eye-opening thing that we, I think, are sometimes too married to our ways of training. But a lot of it is just like, do you make these people feel better and do they like you? And I train people that see me and do stuff totally different. They go to Pilates or they do these other workouts that couldn't be more different from my workouts. And they like both of us equally. And if that doesn't tell you that a lot of stuff we argue about doesn't matter, I don't know what does. Man, I, you, you said a tagline there. Do, do they make me feel better? And do they like me? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I would say, and then the number one, which was you were talking about earlier is like, you know, thou shalt do no harm. Like rule number one. So if, if you can do that, like not hurt them, make them feel better with your oh, training. Yeah. Dude, I've trained, like I've me. trained a couple NFL guys and we don't do any of that other stuff. And they, they like me and they like the other trainer and we we train very differently. And, and I'm all for that. I don't think everyone has to train my way. I just, uh, you know, I, I I do things how I see fit, but I'm very open to other ways in the sense. I, I think as also too, as strength and conditioning coaches, I think uh, when you look at how different some teams programs are and how different, like if you picked, if you looked at the NBA all-star game and looked how they all trained, there's a lot of differences. There's a lot of differences. So I think you're a real clown to be like, my way is the only way to be good at basketball. Or, or to just be like, man, if that guy was with me, how yeah, many times have you no. heard that? Yeah, right? that's clown stuff. Yeah, you know, it's um, I'm very fortunate to train some really, really good athletes in a couple of different sports, and I will tell you, they were really good before they met me, and I had minimal, minimal impact on that. And it's, I mean, that's that's definitely dropping the ego because uh, now to me, it's just like that that part that you said. It's like, hey, can I make them better in some way? And that might be like feeling better. Well, dude, think about, remember, uh, I have no clue who trains Usain Bolt, if anyone, but remember when he was at the peak? Oh, yeah. Speed, and he, there's like a YouTube video. Like hand clean video? Hand clean and leg extensions. I'll never forget it. And there was like all this talk about how horrible it was. And I'm like, I don't know, man. He's the fastest guy in the world. <laughs> I'm different than you. I'm, I'm about to go pop on the leg extension and see, see if it helps me. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, I was talking to Bill Hartman one time and that dude's a, you know, a genius. He said, look, man, like if you, if you try to get Usain out of some of the things that trainers do, like, ah, oh, he's too extended and then lumbar spine and that, you know, like, dude, you make him slower. Yeah. Oh, so sure. there, it's like, there, there's, don't be, don't try to be too smart. You know, like, Oh, there's a lot of times that, that great athletes, a video will circulate them working out and I go all judgment mode. And then I have to step back. Thankfully, I just keep it to myself. Because joke would be on me. It's like, uh, you know, yeah, joke would be on me if I'm if I talk shit about that. And so you know what's okay. I I wanted to dig into this because you said your principles have been pretty much the same for a long long time, but that the thing that's changed and you've evolved in is the delivery, right? So what what are just some things that I would say that you've changed your mind on? I you actually talked about a bunch of them uh, through stories, but is there something else that pops up that you're like, man, like? I used to deliver this way, but now I deliver this way. I think this is so much more important than what I used to think it was. 
Well, one thing I do now is I start every new client, regardless of their goals, with three questions. And it's your goals, your injury history, and your past training history. And I really only care about the first two. Uh, goals and injury history, I think could you could create a program for anyone. Uh, past training history gives me insight into where they're at because I think it's really important to meet new clients where they're at. And so all I'm trying to see past training history is do they have any experience doing the type of stuff that I'm going to have them do? And if they do, then we'll, we might start a little farther along the process. If they don't, then we start super simple. Um, cause I think the quickest way to turn someone off to full body strength training is to smoke them the first day. So past training history, I just want to basically know, have you ever done strength training and what that lets me know. And from people's answers, I can also tell how into training they are. You can tell by the way people answer questions, how much they know. So if somebody is talking and using jargon and knows what exercises are called, or even knows how much weight they do, I know this person ha has experience with training and we can, you know, all, all systems go on day one. If people are explaining things in a very simple way, and I can tell they've never done it before, we start super, super simple. Two sets of, you know, four or five moves, and that's day one. Um, so that's why past training history matters. But goals and injury history, I think you can deduce a program for anybody, regardless of what they do. Because uh, I think people's occupation, or if you're training athletes, what sport they play, is way is is a lot less relevant than goals and injury history because under the guise of basketball, you could have two basketball players and one guy's 21 and needs to gain weight and has no injuries. And one guy's 37 and has a long list of injuries and is looking to lose weight. And that's so same, same job, but two different programs. Yeah. Um, so, and then the, the biggest thing that comes from that is the goals part. Cause I think that I used to just kind of train everyone how I trained and you realize with the goals, uh, if you ask people their goals and then listen to them, it's all, it's often going to be different than like how we do things. So, um, that's a big, that's a big thing that I do. And, um, I think, uh, goals help me know, what we have to do and also how hard we have to do it. Because I think that, uh, as I said earlier, the devil's in the dose with strength training. And I think that too much of a good thing becomes a bad thing. Think of it, you know, like any medicine, you know, uh, you take the right amount, it helps cure whatever's wrong and you take too much, it kills you. So, um, the Dude. goals really helped me know, uh, the exercises, but also the dose. Let me ask you this too, like based on, how often do you, you know, and obviously you got, you got goals. How much do you track progress in which areas? Because, you know, some people are very much so, you know, whether you're, you got body composition goals and you're jumping on an in body or, you know, whether general pop or like pro guys, do you do quite a bit of like, Hey, you used to do this. Now you're doing it, more. It really more. depends on the person. Uh, some people respond very well to that stuff. And some people, don't and will get very defeated if they don't get there. I never like anyone to ever feel defeated and went with me ever. So, uh, that, uh, 
if I think that some people, like, for example, the scale is very motivating to them and uh, they're not going to feel like shit if they come up short of their weight goals, it'll just motivate them. And then some people will feel like shit. So for the ones it's motivating, we do it. For the ones I feel like it could be detrimental, we don't. Um, body fat, we don't really do that, but some people do that on their own. Um, I think in general pop, that's like more mortifying than motivating to most people. So we don't do it. Um, what I just said also manifests, uh, sometimes when I talk to trainers, I just feel like I sound like the worst trainer, but I'd rather just be honest. Cause I think it's helpful. No, I think this is really helpful. You no, know, this is real world. So, you know, I remember learning, going to the functional movement screen seminar when I was first starting out and I just gave everyone the movement screen. I can tell you now, uh, anybody that I know is going to do poorly on the movement screen. We don't do it, uh, now. And, let, uh, because, um, particularly people that are, I can tell are intimidated by the gym in general. Uh, we don't really do anything like that because I think it does, you know, people know when they're failing the test, even if you don't tell them. Yeah. And so all the movement screen does for me, for example, is lets me know, can they do my baseline program? And so for people that are intimidated by that process, I might have them do a few things like, um, what I, uh, uh, but I learned like the rotary stability, for example, I can't even get a three. I can't even demonstrate a three cause I can't do it. So how, how am I like, nobody's going to get a three or if they are, if they are like, they could do it, you know, whatever it, you don't need to get a three to do, you don't to do, uh, some goblet squats and pushups and TRX rows on day one. So, um, I, do very basic stuff. I do the shoulder mobility test on the FMS where you, it's hard to explain in words, but you put your arms out to the side and then try to touch your fist behind your back. Yep. Um, and, uh, I'll usually do that and I'll usually, uh, do a squat, like just have them demonstrate a body weight squat, um, either as an assessment or we'll do it in the first workout warm up, and they don't know it's an assessment. I'm just looking. And then I, try to have them do split squats in a warm up, And if they can do that, then we add in reverse lunges in the warm up. and if they can do that. then I know they can do my baseline program. You actually don't really need very much mobility to do my baseline program, to be honest. So, uh, I stopped being now, now the time that I do, but on the, on the other side, if I have a guy who's kind of cocky about the training process, I movement screen the shit out of them and just, uh, <laughs> you know, just because, and then I do, I call it the chiropractor thing, you know, like, uh, there are great chiropractors, but like, you know, like the shitty chiropractors oh, you'll walk in for a backache and then leave feeling like you have six months to live. Cause they're like, Ooh, <laughs> this is wrong. That's wrong. Like you're going to have to come back a lot, man. Like the, you know, the stereotypical, I got to see you four times a week. Yeah. And that's truthfully kind of what I do with like the arrogant guys. I'll be like, Ooh, that shoulder mobility sucks, dude. Like you should be able to do this. And then I do it well and show them. And they're like, oh, fuck. like, it, but that's motivating to them to yeah. like, improve them. Yeah. or I will guys that are really, you know, good athletes that are strong. 
I might on day one be like, can you do a skater squat? No. Oh, you can't do a skater. Like I, but, but that's motivating to them. Uh, but if you were to do that to somebody that's intimidated, they'll, they'll feel like this was a bad workout. So, uh, I think you have to feel out the person and see what's going to bring the best out, out of them. And sometimes that is, uh, tough love. And sometimes that's love, love. Have you, is, is there an example that you have, like, you know, kind of le- learning it, I guess, through doing where you figured out like, okay, look, like I'm making these people feel bad. I just reading body language and seeing like, man, this well, is not making them feel better. Or, or, or like body what language. made me realize that I don't need to do, uh, yes. And it's that sometimes my personal training clients will bring a friend just for a one-off and that was my eye opening to me. Cause when they come with a friend, I'm not going to movement screen the friend. Cause I'm never going to see him again. They're on my client's dime anyway. So they get very little attention. And so when somebody brings somebody for a one-off, I just give them simple stuff and kind of just to keep them busy and placated. And, uh, I might have them do some of the same things as their friend, but I always explain to guests, you know, Hey, such and such has been training with me for six years. I'm not going to throw you into the deep end quite yet. Uh, I like you more than them. So I'm going to take it easy on you. That's what I always say. And I give them kind of just like a dumbed down workout. And then it sort of dawned on me like, yeah, that was fine. Like it always goes fine and they always do fine. And they, you know, uh, I think that's a much funner first session. I do ask every guest injury history always but that's it. And then I just train them on the fly. And that's the reality of training. I know nothing about these people besides their injury history and that they're there with their friend. And then it always goes fine and they like it. And so then I realized for people that are new to this gym thing, I don't have to do the smarty pants trainer thing to them, you know, just, uh, get them started and give them a real simple workout. And then we build. And I think when you do that, uh, they like it more, but people that know the gym process, uh, that smarty pants stuff actually helps because one, it establishes you as an expert and two, it makes them realize what they're deficient in. So they need to improve, but it depends on, you know, so it's a very different approach depending on the person. But it's, but it's basically like two buckets, right? I mean, this is what I like. I don't know if you, you realize a lot of times that you kind of create these structures that are super simple. It's like, yeah, this, this is this bucket. There's this bucket. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's true. And, and I, I think that that's genius because again, you got to distill, like you go through so much stuff and then you distill it down and go like, nah, like I figured it out. I either do this or that, right? Communicate well, this. Yeah. Or that. yeah. But I think you have to think to yourself as a trainer, like it's, there's like a social aspect. So think to yourself, like, you know, uh, tomorrow I have a handyman coming because my garage door is broken and my dishwasher is broken. I don't give a shit about either of those things. So if that guy starts explaining it, the whys to me, I don't care. I just want him to fix it and not really talk to me about it. And then I'll pay him the money and and be out of there. I'm the equivalent in that sense. I'm the equivalent of like a very novice exerciser that doesn't really care about the whys. I'm sure when that guy talks to his handyman friends, He's going to explain to them what happened and how he fixed it. And they'll be interested. And that's the, that's the, you know, uh, advanced exerciser friend. So when I talk to you, 
on our calls about training or when I text you some of the shit that when we text back and forth for ideas, that's fun for us. You know, that's, that's cool. Like, uh, but if I texted some of my clients, my exercise ideas outside of our workouts, they'd be like, I don't care, man. I'll see you tomorrow. Like, you know, it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's a different type of thing. I, um, I don't, you know, some, some clients where I feel like it will help them buy in, I explain the whys to what I'm doing if they're interested, because that, I think that helps establish me as the expert to them, makes them feel like they're in good hands and makes them understand what they're doing to other people that I know don't care about the whys. I just give them a demo and tell them how many to do. And then we talk about something they're interested in. It's like, I mean, you're really... When you say speak coach, you know, you said it earlier, I think you really take that to the deepest level of like, man, listen, like you got to learn. And every, every coaching language is individual to your clients, period. Yeah, and, and by the way, the one, the one other thing I'll say is those differences. It, it doesn't depend. Like a lot of times when I was first starting out, things were lumped as like, if you train gen pop or if you train athletes, and it's not about that. Cause I can tell you, some of my like really elite athletes don't want to know the whys of training. They just want to see how to do it and know how many to do. And then we talk about football or we talk about something else. And I, then I have gen pop clients who are the type that send me New York times health articles all the time and are very interested in fitness and kind of, Hey, should we be doing this? Should we be doing that? That I explain the whys because they're very interested and they're the, you know, I train gen pop clients that wear heart, rate, uh, heart rate monitors for fun. And like that type of person will send me other trainer Instagram videos and say, what's the deal with this? And I explain it to them. And even they could be not even that good in the gym. Whereas some of the elite athletes can do crazy shit, but they don't really want to talk about it. They're just there to do it. And, uh, they don't care about the whys. and, um, you know, you just tell them what to do and they do it. And the way to create rapport with those guys is to just talk about stuff they're interested in talk about if you know their favorite football team, you pay attention to how that team did on Saturday or Sunday and you mention it. And, uh, that's how you create rapport with that guy. As opposed to if you went trainer nerd on an athlete that doesn't care, they just think you're a nerd. What, what would you, here's, here's a, something that I was meaning to ask you. And I think people are interested in cause, cause they, they ask that question a lot. Right. But, for you, I know that you just look at it as like, I have clients, but there's folks that are like, man, how to, you know, become a celebrity trainer or train known people. And one, has that even, you know, ever been the goal? Number two, drawbacks and benefits of that, right? Like, but I, I know there's a lot of folks that are go like, man, I really, I really want to go in that direction. Well, it was never the goal, but I definitely, I mean, uh, yeah, I think it's, I'm trying to think of how to say this. Like, I, I, I'm not like the starstruck type of person, but yeah, I think it's cool. You know, I, I'm very, um, I look at my life since I moved to Los Angeles and some of it's crazy to me. I come from a town of less than a thousand people. So, um, I feel it's really cool. I, I've had a couple athletes that come through that I was a true fan before they came through. That's a cool thing to me that they wanted to come work out with me. Cause I'm thinking, and like the fact they pay me, I'm like, this is a scam. Cause I'd probably pay you to just meet, you know, that type of thing. So that, that I think is cool. I do. Um, but I do think, um, that, uh, training is training too. 
and went that aside. And I also think when people ask how you get the good clients, that was definitely, I think if you set out to train high-end clients, you it would, that would be the wrong way to do it. it. I would guess. I can't tell you any other way than how I've done it, but I have just all, any busy trainer will always tell you the only way they get clients is through word of mouth. It's like truly like, I think like, I don't know any other successful trainers that would tell you otherwise. It's always word of mouth from your current clients. Now it takes like getting one person like that and then it's word of mouth. But um, I think the thing is, I saw this quote that said, if you do, if you do good work, the good work finds you. And I mm -hmm. think that uh, first off, like when people in like a city in middle America are asking me how to train actors, I'm like, I don't think they live there. So that's part of it's just <laughs> where I live. Um, I used to train a lot of hockey players in Massachusetts. I don't train many in Los Angeles, but I train a lot of basketball players. I never did in Massachusetts. It just part of it is your geography. Part of it is you have to build a reputation in your area as a good trainer. And, uh, mainly with your clients, you know, like it doesn't really matter what, like, uh, I can tell you with high end clients, it doesn't matter if you have like a good reputation on the internet. It's always just with your current clients. Do you do a good job with, cause that's who, who's going to tell people. Um, I've never got a high end client off the internet ever. Um, but I think that if you do good work, then people will recommend it. And, and truthfully, I, I actually think I, in a lot of ways, uh, I've noticed, I, I sometimes think I was a better trainer when I was like 22, as opposed to now in the sense of, I think I'm a smarter trainer now, but you know, when I was in college, I sometimes used to think that the teaching assistants were better than the tenured professors because they really, they were new to it and they just gave a shit. So like when I was trying to write, the best teachers that helped me write were the teaching assistants that didn't have a lot going on and they would just meet with me as much as they wanted. And then the professors, it was like, you got your appointment and that was it type of thing. When I was younger, man, I used to train this high school hockey team and I would go to every single game every single, didn't matter if I had to drive, you know, I got out of work, like right at rush hour, I'd drive to their rink and however far away, sit with the parents, schmooze with the parents, uh, go to their cookouts on the weekends, even though like our, we weren't like, I was younger than the parents, older than the kids, like had no real reason to be there. I would just go to try to create rapport with these people. And I would do so much outside stuff like that to try to create rapport. I don't do any of that now. It's a little different with high end clients too. Like I try not to like mingle too much outside of training, but I did so much stuff to show that I cared back in the day. And we're still friends to this day. You know, one of the things that made me feel good, but also made me feel old. I got invited to a wedding, a wedding of a guy I trained when he was 12. And, uh, I haven't seen him for eight years. So I was very touched to get the invite but that was just from creating a rapport with him back in the day that, uh, you know, eight years after I saw him, he felt compelled to invite me to his wedding. That felt good and made me realize, like, I think I did a good job as a trainer with that guy. Even though if I look back on my training programs eight years ago, I think I could have, there's a lot of work to, to be had. You See, know, I, I think I did a pretty good job. Dude, I, I think that, you know, this is what I talked to my coaches about the point that you're making 
because there's, there's juggling today too of this, you know, here's all these things I need to do for social media, but I feel like the fastest way to get clients is to do such a great job with clients and do exactly what you said. Like you build rapport, you go out of your way, you know, like you just give a shit, like your give a shit factor is very high. You know, like for instance, you're training youth athletes, you go to games, you don't meet the parents. Yeah, and I, and I still do that to a degree. When I say I don't do that now, it's like, it's a little different when you're older. Like you're not going to do that every night. Like, not for sure. Uh, but you know, uh, with one-on-one training, it's like, I'm friend, I'm friendly with my clients, but it's not like I'm trying to hang every day after work. But, um, I still do stuff. You know, some of my clients make fun of me, but, uh, I don't know how long I've had most of my clients, but I text them the day after every single workout. If I don't see them to ask how they're feeling every single day. How you feeling? And all, and I tell them day one, after the first workout, I'm going to text you how you're feeling after the workout, partly because I want to know about pain. And partly I think if you're, and people know how you're feeling, I want, and I explain this after day one, all they have to answer is if they're sore and where they're sore, if they're sore. And because that tells me if they're doing the exercises right. And that tells me if we did anything wrong. And I've done that after every single workout I've ever had in Los Angeles. So I think that, um, and a lot of times they don't even reply to me. Like clients I've had for a long time, like Chelsea Handler's, I was like, stop fucking texting me. I'll tell you if I don't feel okay, <laughs> but I still do. And, yep. uh, you know, and then one day it was actually funny. One day I stopped texting her cause she asked me to, and she called me, why didn't the fuck didn't you text me? You don't like me anymore. Like it was a joke, <laughs> but uh, you know, I hit people after every single workout and uh, I've had them a long time, but I, I, but you know, the subtext of that is like, Hey, I just want you to know that I'm at, I'm still invested in our training process and that's it. And, uh, it's a short text. Uh, I, a lot of times I cut and paste it and I just hit it to everyone I saw the day before. How you feeling? And, uh, you know, it's simple, but, and truthfully, a lot of people don't even reply unless it's bad. And, uh, I'm going to keep sending it. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's interesting though, because just because they don't reply, it doesn't mean they don't see it. And they, they don't go like, ah, oh, Ben's checking in though. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, I it's- just want people to know, you know, uh, uh, that's one thing about being in a service industry job. I, I think I bet when I was younger, I think I thought people that like were doing big things in training, like were just like chilling. Like I, it felt like it was easy. Like, and I felt like I was working hard, but they had it easy. And I think social media can be one of those things where like, as you get like social media is a highlight reel, but any trainer I know like us works like all the time. You know, I, I see people seven days a week. Uh, and I have since I started and not, not, not every Saturday, not every Sunday. Yeah. I have balance, but like, uh, in our world, like if I take a vacation, I'm not making any money. Uh, and that's, um, and I think that, uh, you have to work hard at it. And I also think, um, I don't take what I'm doing for granted. I know that I have a lot of clients that a lot of trainers would drop their whole book of business for to train. And so I try to make every single person feel like my most important client. And that's pretty hard to do, but I do my best. And I always check in with people, respond quickly to their texts. Uh, 
bend over backwards to accommodate their schedules. Um, and, you know, just show that I'm invested in the process because I, I know that, uh, I think the second you slip with that is when you lose people. I love that you say that, man, because people, people got to know, I, I was actually going to ask you to piggyback on this and then come back to it. It's like the, for instance, the first four years when you worked at Mike's, like, I mean, how much were you coaching? How much were you, or not, not just coaching, how much were you around it? You know what I mean? At well, the, the way that that worked is this, well, the summer, it's like, summer's crazy. Summer is, it's a 12 hour day. You start at seven, end at seven. And there's really like not breaks. Um, the rest of the year, you would have like personal training in the mornings and then groups would come there were adult classes, but I didn't do any adult classes. Uh, and then it would basically be two to seven after school. People would come two to seven, but then you would do one-on-one -on -one stuff in the morning. But in, but before that, there would be like staff meetings with all the trainers. Every Tuesday was a staff meeting with a new well-respected coach giving stuff. And then all the trainers were smart there. So it was like, you're just kind of around training all the time. In the morning I'd go lift, but you're lifting. It's a, uh, you ever read uh, Outliers by Malcolm yeah. Gladwell and they talk about deliberate practice versus practice? Yep. I think that is like the, the most important concept to get good at anything you do is deliberate practice versus practice. Because I really think, I put a lot of thought into this. When I first started lifting, I would video my form. I would watch it all the time. I would send form checks to people when I was brand new. So I think I actually... I, you know, it sounds, I don't want to like sound whatever, but I think I became an advanced lifter pretty quickly, but I was, it was deliberate practice. So I wasn't just fall. I've never to this day followed someone else's program. That's the other thing. I don't recommend that. I tell everyone to get on a program, but I've always lifted as a coach. So I've always just done my own program and put a lot of thought into my training. It's never been like a go through the motions type thing. And that's the same thing with coaching. I think when, when I was at Boyle's, I liken it to like studying abroad versus learning a language in school. That's at, a great example. At Boyles, I just, you know, when you're around the trainers, you just listen to what they have to say. You watch their workouts. You train every client. Like you just, all I did, I had no life. I just trained all the time and talked about training and wrote about training. And I kept a blog, which like we actually learned more from the blog than my readers probably did. Uh, and, um, from the process of doing that. And, um, and I say that because, uh, when I say I learned more from the writing, I, I, use, I had an instructional blog where I would teach people stuff and it's actually pretty hard to teach people stuff when you don't really know it that well, when you're learning. So it actually made me a much better teacher to do these blogs, to share how to do exercises to people that I knew had been training longer than me. So I, I really paid extra attention to how I said things. Cause I think when you're training clients, it's much easier to get over on a client that doesn't know training. Uh, you know, you could say almost anything. Like I, I look at a lot of trainers and they don't know their ass from their elbow, but they have a lot of clients cause they're engaging. And, uh, it's easy to talk to a client because they don't know what, if what you're saying is true or not, but keeping that blog early on really actually helped me a lot because I realized like I have less experience than everyone I'm sharing this to. So I better like say it right. 
And you had to, you had to think it through and it made you just, yeah. and so it just made me like a lot more sure of myself and it made me a better coach to my clients. Cause I had to explain it to someone who was actually smarter than me. And see, I, I, the reason I asked you for that, that question was because I wanted people to, to hear and see your path that like the amount of deliberate practice that you put in. And, you know, again, like I've known you since, since then. And then when you moved to LA, I mean, you were coaching a crazy amount. It's like the amount of hours that you were, you know, in the real world training. And still now you're like, listen, I still train a shit ton. And it's that, you know, I do, I do too, as much as I don't have to, I actually train a lot because I love it. Um, and I, I do feel it's the only way to like keep a pulse on, on your skill set. You know what I mean? Like period. But I, I think that's so important to hear because people can look at it and go like, Oh, look at where Ben is and what's Ben Ben's doing now. And that actually like, what, what are your thoughts? Like being that you're such a, you know, face to face, like great trainer, been doing it for so long when it comes to social media, like you, if, if you were to coach and advise a trainer that's like, Hey, what do I do with social media? If I, if I don't have a completely booked schedule, oh, dude. the way, I mean, first off, I'm the dumbest person you, you know, when it comes to tech, but I've actually done pretty well for myself with social media, but I think yeah. I, I, I have no clue how I would have done that if I weren't a trainer. Cause all I do is just share what I'm doing with my people. Like that's it. So it's like, I, uh, I look if man, there's no chance my social media would be what it is if I weren't training people the whole time, because I just be sitting around thinking up nonsense, like the people that don't train, like, you know, like, uh, <laughs> it's, it's clear as day when you watch training stuff, who trains people and who doesn't, you know, uh, it's just, um, my reputation that I've built on social media, I think is like simple, practical stuff. That's what I hope it is anyway. And that's just cause like I train real people and in the real world, the only thing that's going to ever work is simple, practical stuff. You know, if it's a move that's really challenging to do, or it takes forever to set up or things like that, people aren't doing it. So, uh, regardless of how cool it looks. So I think for me, everything I ever share is like just simple stuff. Cause like the way I I mean, you've been in my house, but I train people in 195 square feet, 15 by 12. So when I set up tri sets and paired exercises and stuff, it's like, I got one second to, or, you know, to, if it's after a group, I have one minute to set up for the next group. So it better be simple. Uh, and that's how I train. And so everything I share on social media is simple. Cause that's how I train. And, uh, it's, you know, I feel the easiest way to do social media is to just train people and then just say what you're doing rather than have to mm -hmm. just sit around and think stuff up. That, that's literally the best advice and only advice I give them. Like, dude, just like you're, you should be talking about what you do, which means you, sh you should be doing it. Yeah. And then every once in a while too, I share my own workouts and that's usually less helpful because on the internet, you always get points for like progressing everything and making it as hard as possible. And I do that just for like the other psychos out there and stuff. Um, and I also do that kind of a mix. It's like, I guess some of it's like kind of showing off if I really think about it. Like you're just saying like, Hey, I train, like I train hard kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> just flexing to your friends, I guess. But like that stuff's less helpful, but the, the stuff that I share with my clients is the most helpful. Cause that's just like, 
what real people do in the gym. And, uh, and I show my stuff as like progressions and, um, you know, uh, but trainers that just share their own workouts and their hard stuff, it's like, they'll probably actually get a following cause it's cool, but like, you're not actually like changing the way anyone does anything. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I, I think that what I started doing was just going like, let me film like an actual thing, like the training session groups, yeah. semi-private, whatever, and then put it up and then explain a little bit about what we do. But it's like real yeah. people doing it. You know, it's like well, your, your classes. I told you, man, you and John Chamberg are the two best trainers I know with the small group stuff. It's like everybody doing, that's what real people do. Uh, you know, and you know, really, you know, from that, you know, if you did these exercises that were super complicated, you're not getting, you know, one of the stations to all do it well. It's just not going to go well. So you got to pick simple stuff. That's what people really do. They get, you know, and uh, like, think like, you're probably like me. I, I bet you, if you, like the, the workouts you share of your own probably help you establish credibility amongst your training peers. But I bet very few people do or can, can even do the shit you should do. You're like, top 1% of like psychos I know, but that helps you establish credibility with trainers. It's important. Like I do it too, but like those like crazy, like drop sets you do and stuff, like nobody's doing that. But yeah. then when you teach the classes, that's what people are doing. And like, so they're both important for social media. Well, because I think it, you got to sh show, and this is where people get lost, right? That there's folks that all it is, is their training. And it's probably yeah. not even their real training, right? Yeah, it's, it's like, I actually will share my real workout. And I know like most people are not going to want to push it that far, but it's like, here's clients and different clients and groups. And like, look at every type of person that's training in this group. I mean, yeah. and, that's, old, yeah. and, and it's like, that's real. This is what really happens. Here's yep. the shit that I do. Cause I'm a little bit of a nutcase, you know? It, yeah. And, and then people like me and will go do it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But it's not most. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, but I, I just think if you had, if I, well, I'll personalize it, but if I had started doing social media without training, it wouldn't have worked. Like it just wouldn't have worked. And, and I actually, back when I started my blog, I actually got a lot of shit for it uh, because there was a big thing. Then the push was 10,000 hours. You had to be 10,000 hours before you were an expert. And if you had a blog, it was kind of, uh, look down on, like you were skipping steps, but I think how I circumvented that. And I'm really glad I did. Cause I, a, lo a lot of people kind of gave me shit for that in the beginning. And, uh, I was just honest. I think the key I was on my first blog post was about how I was starting an internship at Mike Boyles. And I came from a sociology background and I'm just going to share my experiences. So I wasn't trying to act like Yep. I always laugh when like a 24 year old has this long resume. Cause I'm like, you, you don't have a long resume. You're just starting. But if a 24 year old said to me, Hey, I'm just starting. I'd have a lot of respect for that. And that's what I did. I just shared my experiences as an intern, what it was like training different people, how my workouts were changing from a meathead to more joint friendly stuff and things like that. And I just always, uh, in, when I meet people, it always blows my mind. People say, oh man, you're, you're real similar to how you are online. And I'm like, yeah, cause it's me online. I, I, I it, it, it seems dumb as a trainer to try to create a facade 
if you ever want to like meet people in the real world, if I had come out as a young trainer and acted like I was an expert, somebody met me, I'd seem like a clown. But I think that I, from day one, just kind of like, I've always just shared my experiences. And when I was young, that probably resonated with a lot of young coaches like, Oh, he's going through it just like me. And I developed a great network of people like you. So I'm glad I put myself out there. I actually would always encourage coaches, particularly in this day and age to have and participate in social media. Uh, not, and uh, actually emphasis on participate. I think too many people in our field are just passive and they just watch other people and critique it. But it's, uh, but I can tell you from like that whole in the arena thing, like, life's like harder when you're actually training real people. Uh, so I think you should participate and share your own thoughts, but be just honest about where you're at and you don't have to put on a front and try to be someone you're not. But I think if you're, uh, honest with where you're at and open to learning stuff, you'll develop a great network of people. And that's the only way to succeed in our field. Man, that's a great point because I, I remember too, at that point in time, I just, when you started, uh, I just opened the gym. So like, I think 11 days after the market crashed is when I got that first garage gym here. We had one in Slovenia, but I, rem I remember reading your, your blog and you know, when you started writing for T nation and two, cause I'm like a bit of a, a, a crazy idiot. Right. But it's like, I was like, hold up. How much weight is this dude using on Bulgarians? Yeah. yeah. Oh, shit. And then, you know, I, when we met too, it was like your, your backstory. Like I've had back pain my whole life, yeah. had a really bad injury about 14, 15 years ago which made me kind of switch a lot of what I was doing. Cause I had to, um, but that was, you know, but it was very useful cause you always would come across like in my experience, I'm just starting. So it's very different than like me going on there and going like, Hey, listen, like, this is what it is. Right. It's like, no dude, like you're, you're, you're putting on in the hours and here's what you're learning and you had to distill it, which made you just a better coach. And, and I always think that if you participate in social media and you care, it means you got to think things through right? You got to actually do it in the real world. And then it's making you better if you do it that way, right? If you're not making shit up just to try to go. Oh, by. Yeah. And I think if you just approach it, like honest with an open mind, I mean, I had like a lot, a lot of the like really well-respected older trainers at the time were very receptive to me and it like helped me tenfold, you know? And, and I think that that's the same for me now. You know, one of my lifting buddies now is a guy that's 10 years younger than me. That was exactly where I was 10 years younger and super nice guy comes over and lifts. And I love it. He, you know, uh, he has the, the great mind. Like he did, he does everything I used to do as far as his name's Austin Poland. Every, anybody listening to this, he's a great guy, Austin Poland, but, uh, comes over and lifts and never really act, like, he just says like, what do you want to do? And I, I now I'm like, we've lifted long enough where I'm like, dude, you're smart too. Like, what do you want to do? Like that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But he, you know, he just would come over and just do anything I told him and, uh, ask me questions and then put it into practice. That's the other thing. Like, I remember, I remember going to Eric Cressy's gym when I was an intern, or maybe I had just gotten a job at Boyles and he was telling me I had this blog that was benbruno.blogspot.com. Didn't even have like a URL and it was super, basic, but I had actually pretty good traffic to it. People liked it. And he gave me the name of a web guy that would help me and said that that would be a good idea. And so I just did it like that afternoon. I just did it. And then 
when I went on my own in business, he told me to start a SEP IRA and that would change. And so I did it that afternoon. And I owe Eric a lot now because that SEP IRA has been a giant thing for me, you know, but I realized after being on the other side and most people that ask for help, never do what you tell them. And then when you, when I meet Austin and I told him about the SEP IRA and he did it the next day, I thought, okay, this guy's going to get some <laughs> advice. And I give him the name of a web guy and he does it the next day. And I think, okay, like that's why you are where you are. And he's doing big things, training stars already. And, um, you know, I think, uh, networking, but actually implementing it will take you like so far. And even in that, in that point in time, I think, you know, that's a great lesson for anybody that's listening is that if you are learning from somebody that's ahead of where you are, right. 10 years, five years, whatever, look, they're probably giving you advice because they're like, this is going to help you fucking do it. (laughs) And I, I can't tell you when, whenever Eric gave me tips and I just did it the next day, I don't know, but I would imagine that's probably why we're still friends today. Cause I can tell you like most people reach out and they never do what I suggest. And I'm not saying that they have to, but it's like, they don't, you can tell that they don't actually want to do anything different. They're just asking to ask when somebody takes your advice, that makes me want to keep helping. It makes me want to keep, you know, like, uh, when I have a new lifting partner and they come over and try to tell me what we're going to do, I'm like, cool. You're not, you're probably not coming back for a second workout. But when someone comes over with a learner's mindset, it's like, yeah, come over every day. Let's go. Man, it's, it's funny. It's such an interesting story. Cause I, you know, when I was still playing pro ball, I actually, uh, went to England, Birmingham to a seminar with Eric. So, and, and like bought all his stuff. And then yeah. not long afterwards, like right when they opened the gym, I spent like nine days there just training every day with him and, and Tony and just asking a million questions and same thing, doing all like literally every, like do this. All right. You know, I'm doing, I'm, yeah, holding hotel it, yeah. and I'm fucking doing it. Like, and same thing, you know, that's like, I don't know, 15 years ago, something like that. You know, when again, there's the, the reason I bring it up is that you see these things that people have done that are successful in doing what you want to do, like listen to it and do this shit. Like if you're listening to this podcast episode, you probably should write some notes and fucking going and doing it after, like right after the episode. Um, but, but actually that made me want, want to ask you something because I know for where you are now, just in the last, like, let's say you look at the last three or five years of, of, of your life. What are some kind of career business things that have been aha moments that before that it, you weren't really attuned to it, but now you were like, man, like as my career moves along, like what are maybe two or three big things Career uh-huh. like, like, how do you mean? So, what I mean, so like, for, for example, right. I, um, I'll give you some examples for me where, where it's like, look, I'm doing a whole bunch of stuff. Like I, I have to like hire a GM and get help here. Um, oh, okay. I see what you're saying. I, I think, um, well, when I first quit my job working for someone and went on my own, that was a big thing. And that's, that's a question that a lot of trainers ask me. And I don't think the answer is clear cut because I think that uh, for as many times as someone goes off on their own and does well, there's times people go off on their own and don't do well. So I think you have to really do some like soul searching and think, are you the type of person that gets your own clients or are you the type of person that they come for the gym and then train with you? And you have to be honest with yourself because uh, in theory, 
I think if you're the type of trainer that gets your own clients, uh, you should probably work for yourself. Just simple, simply put, uh, then you don't have to break the money off to anyone else. You take the money. But if you're somebody that doesn't and no, and you go off on your own, you're going to fall flat on your face. A percentage of something is better than nothing. So, uh, people have to be honest where they're at. I think, you know, uh, I took maybe longer to make that jump than I should have. I've always struggled with confidence. Uh, I think, um, that's a thing you can't always see through social media, but I've definitely always like doubted myself. Like every career step, I worry that it's not going to go well. Um, when I, when I quit my job, I worried when I switched jobs, I worried it wasn't going to go well. When I quit my job and went on my own, uh, I didn't think it would go well. I'm about to dip my toe into the online world and I've doubted myself with that. And, um, you know, that's what, fine. What, what's, helped you with that, though? what's the thing that's helped with that? Uh, nothing has really helped me, uh, doubt myself less. Cause I think that's just something that, you know, I don't know if everyone does it, but I know I do, but, um, you know, my mom always said there's a book that my mom, I don't, I don't know if my mom even read the book, but she's always quoted this book title and it's called fear the feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Her thing has always been which probably you don't even have to read the book. The title just says it all. Uh, <laughs> I read the book. It's a good book, but you're right. I, I think, uh, you know, um, I think people that, um, I'm, I actually talked to a trainer eight years ago when I quit my job that was unhappy. And I talked to him, uh, two weeks ago and he's still there and unhappy. So I think, uh, you know, uh, we all have fear, but I think sometimes you just gotta like grab your nuts and make the jump sort of, um, hmm. And I think, um, the other thing that I've always felt about myself way before I was in training, I had a lot of shit happen to me when I was younger that I think put a lot of work stuff in perspective where I, I'm always, I lack confidence that new stuff I'm going to do is going to work, but I'm very confident that like, no matter what, I'll be okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. So like anytime I try something new. I'd be lying if I told you I like knew it was going to work, but I think to myself, if this doesn't, I'll find a way and I've been through worse and I'll pivot and make it happen somehow. So that helps me. It makes the jump a little less fearful, but I'm still never confident that it's going to go well. Um, which I think probably is helpful. I think a health, a, a degree of that, if you're, if you had no fear, you'd probably wouldn't take it as seriously and try as hard. I agree. So I, I think, agree. uh, that, that, fear probably like motivates me to work really hard to maximize the chance it goes well. And, I, and I'll say this too, man. Like I, I feel very confident in what I do, but you know, we were just talking about a project, you know, I'm working on now. And it's like, you know, you kind of in your head, you're like, fuck is it, you know, I want it to be great. Like, is it, you do, you, you have that. And I think it can be a good thing because it makes you work harder at it, make it better you know, not fuck around and just be like, oh, this is gonna be awesome. Like I'm the best, whatever. Right. Like, so I, I think there's, it's kind of like a, a, a balance and it's like too far to one side probably doesn't help you too much. At least that's, that, that's how I feel about it. in, in my experience. Yeah. But, but, I'm, but, but I think going off on my own was good. I also think I, I did an internship back in the day where, uh, with Jeff Oliver at Holy Cross football. And mm -hmm. I loved it. And I, he was a great guy, but I realized I, his, uh, he's actually like one of the best, but I realized that I wasn't meant for team sports. 
but originally I thought I was meant for team sports. And I think that it's important for, to try things because in my head, before I started, I was going to be good at team sports. And I don't think I was. And I think it's good to be self-aware, um, to know what you're good at. And, uh, you know, if you're hell bent on doing one particular thing, then maybe you have to improve at that thing. But if you're just otherwise just play to your strengths. And, um, so I think that was a good pivotal thing for me. And, you know, now I'm at this cross, not crossroads, but I'm doing the, trying to do the online stuff. And, uh, that's another change and, you know, uh, give the old college try. I mean, it, I, and I, I definitely want to, you know, before we end, I certainly want to finish on that note. I, I kind of feel like I know the answer how it's going to go, but we, we already talked about that, but are you, I mean, I know you're excited about this. I, I, I said at the beginning, there's nobody that's created more buzz than you. Yeah. <laughs> like I usually, you know, what we, uh, we talk marketing and I tell our coaches like, all right, you're going to launch this program, you know, start talking about it four weeks out, make the oh, buzz. Yeah. I'm like, fucking Ben's been making a buzz for two years, baby. Let's go. Um, this but, thing has stopped and started so many times. You know, that's why it's going to be so much sweeter, man. Um, but yeah, talk a little bit about, about this project because I'm fired up about it. I know you are too. But what, you, what you're launching? It's, uh, I have a six-week men's program and a six-week women's program with accompanying nutrition stuff from Precision Nutrition, who I, I've always loved their nutrition. And actually small world. When I got offered the job in LA, the same week I got offered a job by John Berardi to work at precision nutrition. So things oh, are kind I of forgot about that. I yeah. completely forgot about that. Yeah. So back, uh, 2013, I was offered a job training in LA and I was offered a job doing remote nutrition coaching with precision nutrition and kind of weighed the pros and cons and realized I'm, I'm not really passionate about nutrition. So uh, I know it, I know enough, but, uh, it's not what I'm passionate about. And so I went with the training, but it's come in full circle. Cause I I've honestly, since then, I've always thought nutrition, precision nutrition's the gold standard with just simple, practical nutrition. Same. And so we're partnering, you know, they have nutrition to go with the program. There's a men's program and a women's program, which are similar, but slightly different just cause most of the women I train have different goals than the men I train. Uh, it's not like uh, gender specific exercises. It's just more to the goals that people have. And, uh, you know, it's a simple two, three week phases and it's just to give people a taste of my training. And, uh, I'm hoping in time, if it goes well to have a more consistent type of programming, but this is just one program and people from that can learn how I train and, and run with it until I have more programs. But, um, it's just a thing, you know, it's probably a long time coming, but, um, I've always struggled with how to do the online stuff. Well, it'll probably be different than some. I, my exercise descriptions are longer. I talk through everything. I'm trying to make sure it's as close to training with me as you can get without training me. So it's, um, I imagine, you know, some of the people will be exercisers and some of the people will be trainers. And so I try to toe that line of who I catered it to. And, um, you know, uh, it, it gives you a taste into how I do my full body strength training. Yeah. And I, I think that that's actually the really cool part because I mean, you got, you have a huge audience of, I would say non-trainer folks that follow you, but then there's obviously a huge amount of, of trainers. And I feel like some of the best insights on, I still, man, I still buy everybody. Like for instance, 
Joel, well, the thing is, program I, I, made this, I made this program that a trainer could just buy it and then just do it with their clients and change yeah. the exercises and rip me off and just keep doing it with their clients. And that's, uh, you know, that, that would, you honestly you'd probably get pretty far doing that. Yeah, man. I, the thing is, is like you learn, I mean, I, cause you're a real world guy, like you're doing these things. That's always been a great way of learning for me is like, because you can actually practically see how people are applying it. I've always, I, to this day, I go to other people's gyms. I mean, now a lot of times I get brought in to consult, but like, I love going to other people's gyms, seeing how they're training, seeing people coaching on the floor. I'm like, dude, I, yeah. it's the best. You know what I mean? So that's always been a, a, a great way for me to also people that I respect and look at doing good stuff. I always get their stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I think over time I'll share more program because it's just one way how I do things. You know, it's like, you know, it's not the only program we use, but it's a program we use. And I think, uh, also too, for years, I've always like, you know, I make jokes about this type of training and jokes about that type of training. I think you just put your own stuff out too. This is just like, it's, it's one thing to talk shit about other things. It's another thing to give a practical way of doing it. Yeah. And I agree hundred percent, man. Yeah. I mean, we're let, put, put it this way. We'll, we'll hundred percent put the link in the show notes, yeah. uh, promo it. You already know I'll be, uh, I'll be, I'll be a megaphone, man. Thanks bro. Appreciate well, you. Your, your doubts will get kicked in the balls. Um, about how it goes. <laughs> so, hey, listen, man, I, I could talk for you to, with you for hours and hours about training, life, career, all that stuff. Let's um, do it again. A hundred percent, dude. Do it again. Like, right I, I, listen, this is the best stuff because there's so many, I mean, I, cause I'm gonna go through obviously and, and write notes, but there's so many nuggets and gems that just through, you know, storytelling of how you got to where you are. I mean, just, just so much to pull from. Like, I hope that, that people can dive into this and, and really think about where they're at, what they're doing. And that, that's what I wanted to extract. And that's exactly what you did, man. So I, I really appreciate you. Um, Thanks for having me, man. This is fun. My, my pleasure. And I can't wait to, uh, you know, get some sadistic stuff when I'm back at the garage. Let's uh, <laughs> training sessions for you. Um, but I love, appreciate you, brother. Good chatting. All right, man. Peace. I have to talk about-